The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Squawk Box. We are live in London and from the shores of Lake Como this morning. Here are your headlines. A surprise jump in U.S. unemployment and softer average hourly earnings cements expectations that the Fed will hold steady this month. NEC Director Leo Brainard tells CNBC the economy remains stable. People are coming back and going to work and the economy is much more resilient, much more balanced. Uh, we're seeing that balance in the labor market and that's why inflation has come down. Shares in Country Garden hit a three-week high after the Chinese property developer reportedly strikes a deal to extend its onshore bond payments, pushing Asian equities higher with the Hang Seng leading the charge. We're here in uh, Como at uh, the Ambrosetti Forum. The Italian Deputy Prime Minister Antonio Tajani tells CNBC the country could pull out of the Belt and Road Initiative as he visits China for a fresh round of talks. The countries without the European countries uh, are working better than us. For this, Italy will decide if stay or not stay. And the European Economy Commissioner Paolo Gentiloni also tells CNBC he is confident in Europe's growth rate, despite concerns Germany is facing a marked slowdown. Please don't call this a recession, because I think we can avoid recession, and we are avoiding recession. We had in the second quarter of this year limited growth, but not recession. Meanwhile, the Munich Auto Show prepares to kick off with a revved-up Chinese presence. But the CEOs of Mercedes and BMW tell CNBC they're not concerned about the competition. Auto industry is an industry in transformation, I would almost say disruption. It's normal that new entrants come into the market when you have that big of a technological shift. That is a sign of attractiveness when, when global players like the Chinese, it's, it's the largest car market in the world, come here to Munich and showcase what, the, what they want. It was described by some as a Goldilocks report. Uh, a little bit of heat in some areas, but not too much. So uh, let's just dive into the detail. U.S. unemployment rose in August as the summer of 2023 near a close with the job market in slowdown mode. Non-farm payrolls grew by 187,000. That was above estimates, while the June and July figures were revised lower. The unemployment rate topped estimates at 3.8%. That was the highest level since February 2022. And a more encompassing unemployment measure that counts discouraged workers as well as those working part-time for economic reasons jumped to a 15-month high of 7.1%. As for those average hourly earnings, they did rise less than expected in another possible sign that inflation pressures are easing. National Economic Council Director Lel Brainard has told CNBC the August report shows resilience in the U.S. economy. What we see is a picture of a strong labor market. If you look at the number of people coming into the labor market, it's really encouraging. Uh, and so that number is just a reflection of uh, an, a great uh, jump in participation in the labor force.
People are coming back and going to work, and the economy is much more resilient, much more balanced. Uh, we're seeing that balance in the labor market, and that's why inflation has come down. Markets are now pricing in a 93% chance the Fed will hold rates steady when it meets on the 20th of September, with a more than one-third chance it will hike rates by 25 or 50 basis points in November. We're going to have much more on this with Max Kettner, HSBC's Chief Multi-Asset Strategist at 8.15 CET. Shares of Country Garden have hit a three-week high on their pace for their biggest one-day rise since November. This after the Chinese property developer won, uh, reportedly won creditor approval to postpone payment on a 3.9 billion yuan onshore bond. Property stocks received a further boost after Chinese authorities eased mortgage requirements for first-time buyers, giving them access to preferential loans regardless of their credit history and loosening uh, those down payment rules. Italy's Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Foreign Affairs Antonio Tajani has told CNBC in a first on interview that Italy could withdraw from China's Belt and Road Initiative. And let's get out to Steve in Italy. Steve, it's been a big weekend for you. This was one of the, the big interviews uh, that you brought to us this morning. And it was fascinating that going back to 2019, Italy was one of the first to sign up for this Silk Road Initiative. It seems as though some of the disappointment has now set in a couple of years on. That, that, that is a great introduction, Karen Spot. I'm lovely to see you. I wish you were out here with me. This place is made for you, Karen, I can assure you. It's she-she, it's chic, it's gorgeous weather, gorgeous scenery. It just screams, Karen Chai. Anyway, I should get back to the show. Because, look, let, let, let's go back a few steps. You're absolutely right. 2019, populist government, a government that's fed up with EU, doesn't particularly like the transatlantic relationship that much as well, uh, but it's kind of grudgingly along with it as well, but, but actually wants to find new growth. It's had various recessions, various political tumult, and it's just looking for new avenues as well. So what do they do? They sign an MOU uh, with the, uh, the Memorandum of Understanding with the Chinese to try and drive more FDI into this country, to get greater links, more investment, more infrastructure building as well with the Chinese as well. It seemed like a good idea at the time to the populist government. Five years later on, or four and a half years later on, actually, the FDI has been underwhelming. The extra Italian exports to China have been underwhelming. In fact, if anything, it's the imports into Italy that have grown more aggressively as well. In fact, the FDI and the investment from China into other countries that didn't even sign up in the EU uh, to the BRI have actually dwarfed that that's come to Italy. So they're a bit fed up with it, really, saying it's just not really for us. Um, uh, Maloney's called it a big mistake. Uh, another member of the government's called it atrocious as well. So so it's Tayani's job, and it was absolutely fascinating. And he's a very interesting man to talk to as well. He's now, of course, the man who's inherited uh, the leadership of Forza Italia, which many of our viewers will know was Berlusconi's party as well. He's inherited that uh, from the late Silvio Berlusconi. And he's the deputy prime minister, he's the foreign minister and leader of Forza. So a real heavyweight here in Italy as well. And it's his job. After he'd spoken to me uh, and, and doing one or two other jobs here in Italy, he literally was getting on a plane that afternoon to go and tell the Chinese, we understand that I'm afraid that the five years, it's kind of up on this one as well. And they're not going to be re-signing and they're not going to be continuing it. Now, whether that's a mortal blow for the Chinese, I don't think so. But the fact of the matter is, it will be just another little dent uh, in the aura around Belt and Road Initiative as well. A uh, one belt, one road as well, which, which the Chinese have put great store in. And we've seen, of course, in many emerging nations as well, there's been real problems about the financing attached to these projects and how in areas such as Sri Lanka, it's created enormous 
economic and political problems. So let's concentrate on Italy and let's concentrate on Tajani uh, and just listen in to see what he had to say uh, about the Belt and Road Initiative pullout. It's not difficult. It's important for us. The message, the Italian message is very clear. We want to, to work with China. We want to be present in the China, Chinese market. We are ready for Chinese investment, but, as I said, it's important the living playing field. On the Road the Belt Initiative, the, the Italian Parliament is checking the situation. In this moment, uh, the, the countries without the Road the Belt Initiative, European countries, uh, are working better than us. For this, Italy will decide if stay or not stay in the Road and Belt uh, Initiative. The, the, in the Parliament, may, many parties are against. A really interesting interview with Tajani. Again, I've spoken to him a lot over the last couple of years as well, and, and he's one who's, well, it's very interesting to see his position uh, in Italian politics as well. And I can talk about him and his relationship with Maloney regarding the bank tax. I'll do that later on because that is absolutely fascinating and uh, not necessarily on the same page, to say the least. Right, so is this part of a bigger strategy and uh, concern about Europe's position uh, juxtaposed between the US and China? The answer is absolutely yes. Uh, and does Europe want to reframe itself geopolitically? Yes. Does it want to reframe its relationship in terms of uh, how it competes with China and whether it's a partner or a rival? Well, I heard lots of very interesting, again, Chatham House conversations inside the halls of Ambrosetti. And I can honestly say, without naming names as well, that I think, yes, a reframing of that relationship is definitely a top of the agenda from top Europeans here as well. But let's hear what Paolo Gentiloni had to say to me. Uh, he, of course, is the European Union Economic uh, Commissioner. He's also a former Prime Minister of Italy. What he had to say about the reframing of the uh, European-Chinese relationship. The relation is becoming in any way more uh, competitive. Um, also because for a certain number of years, uh, we had maybe in the EU uh, an illusion um, similar to the one that we had, well, in a completely different scenario, but similar to the one that we had with Russia, uh, that good trade relation could change things. Uh, so now we are also more demanding on uh, trade relations. Um, at the same time, I think we should not overestimate um, the, uh, the, the China uh, uh, threatened to us uh, as economic uh, uh, player because we have a lot of domains where we are partner, we can work together. Yes, we have problems in the EU, but I think China has also its own problems. It's not all good uh, for their economy. So we have competition. Uh, rivalry, but at the same time interest in common partnership and no interest at all in um, a narrative of decoupling, which is not only impossible but very negative. So there you go, a reframing of the relationship. And you have heard a lot about this, Karen, from your conversations with Macron, from Le Maire, just as I have as well. Europe wants to back up its economic heft and its huge population, over 400 million people. It wants to back that up 
uh, with, of course, more of a geopolitical presence. It feels that that's something that's been missing over it, i.e. using that economic weight to act as a more of a heavyweight internationally. Um, let's go back to Europe itself. There are enormous numbers of problems, unfinished projects, where products, uh, projects <laughs> whether it's the commercial uh, issues, whether it's the um, capital markets union, whether it's fiscal joint decision-making, whether there is going to be more joint issuance of sovereign bonds as well, um, whether it's the stability and growth pact. And on that latter point as well, there is clearly a need to get a reform of the Stability and Growth Pact. Gentiloni has been trying really hard to do that as well. Um, we talked a lot also about whether he can manage that before the end of this uh, Commission presidency, which ends, of course, uh, after the elections in, in 2024, the European Union elections, the parliamentary elections, then a new Commission is elected as well. Uh, he was quite optimistic on his ability uh, to get some more real progress on the reform of the Growth and Stability Pact, make it more fit for purpose uh, in 2023. Uh, interesting, I spoke to Tajani about this again, the Deputy Prime Minister of Italy, uh, and about what he wants to see from a reformed uh, Stability and Growth Pact. And I thought there was a very interesting line about what you're about to hear, about exceptions, maybe exceptions on defence spending as well. Well, if you get exceptions in one area, how many other exceptions are people going to want in other areas? Anyway, let's listen in uh, to Antonio Tajani. If you, Europe decides to, to put more money, this is the European decision, it's not the Italian decision. For this, if Italy wants to respect, at the same time we need to, to help Italy and other countries to push out of the stability pact, the, the investments for, for growth, for, for green policy, also for, for uh, defence. But in the same time, we need to, to, to achieve two other uh, goals. Banking union is important and the harmonization of the fiscal policy in Europe. If you want to, to have a, a real strong Europe, we need to, 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 to achieve the goals of the, all the reforms, not only one and not for the others. But to have a reform of the Growth and Stability Pact, to have exemptions including defence, to have a banking union and to have joint fiscal policy, I can't see certain Northern European countries, primarily German, going for any of that, sir. But we need to, 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 to have a debate on this. Of course, there are different uh, positions, but Europe is the solution for the different positions. We need to achieve an agreement. An agreement is an agreement, not a victory of one country against other countries. Europe is mediation, is agreement, is stability. This is important to, to talk a lot on the stability pact, banking union, uh, fiscal policy, all together. If you want to strengthen the European Union and not to strengthen among the European Union, Italy and Germany, I, I respect the other countries, but I think I want also the respect for, for my country. That was uh, Antonio Tajani, Karen, on the Growth and Stability Pact. A lot of other areas where they would love to see a real streamlining of the EU. The question is, are they running out of time uh, on this presidency? Steve, uh, before you left uh, me in London, sailed off to the sunny shores of Lake Como to enjoy the final days of summer. We were talking a lot about the economic story in China, and it feels like it cropped up a little bit alongside the geopolitics. Um, you know, when it comes to that domestic story, it feels as though there's a huge amount of stimulus going into certain sectors as well. The FT had a great piece on the weekend about how China is building up these battery plants way beyond domestic uh, consumption levels, which again challenges perhaps even the European picture with excess 
test battery uh, products coming over this side of the world. What were you hearing on the ground in terms of the, the primary concerns around China? Was it economic or was it still geopolitical? I think it's a bit of both, Karen. I think, and I think that's the subtle change that kind of I'm trying to express to the viewers as well, that what you and I have been hearing over the last couple of years from various leaders across Europe and various leaders in the European Commission as well is that they just need to be more robust geopolitically. If we're going to carve out our own route, i.e. not rely on the US to kind of lead the entire Western world for Europe to have perhaps a third way as well, then you need to back that up. You need basically a lot of things, including, dare I say, as the Americans would say, you need to be able to defend yourself. You need to be stronger geopolitically, you need to be stronger um, when it comes to the diplomacy, you need to be stronger when it comes to your military presence as well. And that's long been the criticism uh, of the Americans. That it's great, you want to be geopolitical, you want to be out there in the world, do it, but you've got to be able to defend yourself as well and back it up as well. So I think it's a little bit of everything as well. I think there is dismay at the amount of support that Chinese companies are still giving to Russia, whether it be loans, whether it be kind of um, purchase of, of their energy as well. So I think all of these things uh, come into the mix a little bit as well, Karen. But there's no doubt about it. I mean, I think that Chinese-Italy uh, example about the BRI, I think that will resonate with a lot of countries uh, elsewhere around the world who are saying, well, what's in it for us? Has it worked for us as well? And um, again, you're in, a, you're in a, a global race for funds as well. Uh, look at, look at the, the IRA situation as well. Europe is, I mean, this is not so much a, a Europe-China issue, it's more of a Europe-US issue. IRA has sucked in around about three to four times as much money uh, as it, the administration thought it would do, let alone what the Europeans thought it would do. And, and again, if Europe is going to compete, it needs to be far more nimble with its rules at home. You need, another issue we haven't talked about on the show yet, QMV, qualified majority voting. A lot of members would love to see that. A lot of other members, perhaps very concerned about it, including Germany as well. But if you can make decisions quicker by a majority vote in Europe, then you can compete with the likes of IRA a hell of a lot quicker as well. But um, there's plenty there. And our, our brilliant dot-com team, our web team has been putting together and pulling a lot of sound from my various interviews so I do appreciate that so thank you to them uh, for more on what's next though with Italy's relationship with China you can check out cnbc.com uh, just one of the many stories there as well uh, I do want to say also Karen that we've got um, more interviews from government members opposition members as well plenty more uh, on how Georgia Maloney's uh, government is doing later on the show including an interview with the leader of Azione which is a centrist party former minister Carlo Calenda uh, that's next as well as hearing from members of her own cabinet. But Karen, I do want to leave us with a little view. Just because you always look at me looking out on the lake, don't you? The shot is over. So I just thought I'd show viewers Villa d'Este, uh, the venue for the European House Ambrosetti. Uh, and there's only one thing missing from that shot, Karen. That's you just going maybe with a, a shishi, glossy magazine, sitting by the pool, getting a, a Negroni or an Aperol <laughs> Spritz or something. I just see it. I just see it, Karen. Or just a cappuccino. I don't know. What about you? Can you see yourself there? A cappuccino and a pastry to start with uh, at this time of day, but I could definitely see myself uh, sitting there. This is stunning. Thank you very much for just giving us a, a snapshot of what you've been soaking up all weekend. You're very welcome. Stunning, isn't it? Envy. Coming up this morning, we're going to bring you the latest from the auto sector at the IAA conference, including the CEOs of BMW, Mercedes, Volkswagen, Skoda and Renault, as we dig into the impact of competition from China.
Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Leader of Italian centrist party Azioni Calacalenda has told CNBC that Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney is making a mistake prioritizing reforms that may not be fully implemented. Let's get back out to Steve for more. Steve, a lot of domestic politics in the mix over the weekend too. Yeah, look, I don't want to overwhelm everyone with Italian politicians, but it's just such a brilliant snapshot of what's going on. And it is arguably one of the most important countries in Europe. They've got this enormous debt load as well. They've got political consternation. You and I talked about the dozens of governments since 1945. We're up to 70 governments there or thereabouts as well. Huge numbers of uh, a flow of, of prime ministers and leaders and coalitions and national unity governments. And uh, it's just been quite chaotic. So, look, it needs reform. It needs to have some form of political reform. It kind of started under Draghi a little bit, but has kind of got bogged down, of course, when his uh, unity government collapsed as well. So what's going to happen next? Is there going to be meaning reform, which means that this country can sort out its political situation, its court situation legally, uh, and then basically move on and actually have more economic coherence as well? I spoke to Carlo Calenda, uh, the national secretary of the Azione Party. He's a liberal centrist as well. He's a former minister of economic development. I used to speak to him in 2016 to 2018 about this as well on various OBs and that. Uh, And we talked about reform. Reform. Let's listen in to him first, and I'll give you the minister who's in charge of the reform after we've heard from Calenda. This is the old story about Italy polit- uh, political arena in the last 30 years. Everybody starts saying that they will change everything once they are in, uh, in, uh, in their office. They have to change their mind because we have international constraints, budget constraints, whatever. And instead of moving from revolution to reform, they just, you know, they just keep on saying things without realizing. But the problem is that they have very few experience in management, which is the key problem of Italy. It's not only the reform, it's the ability of make things happen. But reform takes all parties to take part, or at least two-thirds of them in Parliament as well, or a referendum. And, and you know full well from the Renzi government how difficult that can be as well. Is it the fact that it's the government's problem with reform or actually the entire political system's problem with reform? Well, first of all, I mean, this is true as far as institutional reforms are concerned. So whatever is touching the Constitution, there are a lot of other reforms that you can implement For example, as far as competition is concerned, we have not enough competition in some key areas, uh, but also reform of the public administration in order to uh, cut the red tape and to have a lean process, easy to manage, for example, for the entrepreneurs. So I think that as far as institutional reforms are are concerned, it is very difficult for every government to implement that kind of reform in Italy due to the process which, as you were mentioning, I mean, is pretty impossible to complete. If I were Meloni, I would rather concentrate on the other reform that you can implement, competition, school, health service, public administration, 
So, and this is what we are not really seeing happening. And I think it's a, a huge mistake uh, that Meloni wants to concentrate on institutional reform because she will not be able to carry on that reform and because that reform is not the most needed in Italy. For example, if you look at institutional reform, would be much better to focus on the relation between you know, the local powers and the central power. How regions and central states are working together. So you can see playing out this, this dispute at the top of Italian politics. That's the honest saying, look, just don't go for the constitutional reform. That's not necessarily needed as well. And then the government say, no, this is the big one that will actually lead, is, is the mother of all reforms, is, is the way that the next guest put it as well. Um, it's very interesting because Calenda basically put down the gauntlet to the government saying, look, in Italy we love revolutions but hate reforms as well. Well, I put that very issue to an, another absolute heavyweight of Italian politics, Elisabetta Casalati, who is the minister of institutional reforms and regulatory simplification. She's the lady who's trying to get a lot of this reform done. She, she was a huge player in the Senate as well, but she's now obviously the minister in charge of getting these reforms through. I put Calenda's uh, point to her. This is how she replied. Unlike what Mr Calenda just said, Italians do love reforms because they're aware that reforms may lead to solutions to major problems Italy is facing and this would benefit Italian households and Italian businesses. So, for instance, this tax reform that is on its way will lead to a much fairer tax system. This tax reform can support the Italian economic recovery, can lead to more investments in Italy, can give more money to the workforce and to support taxpayers. All these reforms are absolutely needed, and the reform the ministry is working on can be called the mother of all reforms, because it would change the way the government works. A long-lasting government, a solid government, is the only way the initiatives will succeed in achieving their aim. Dealing with these issues in schools, in finance, with the birth rate, with immigration, all these reforms can only work if there is a stable government. Minister, absolutely, Italy needs more uh, solid, stable governments over longer terms. But, but other governments had failed previously to enact meaningful constitutional reform. Mr Renzi's government, for instance, as well. Do you believe that either through Parliament or through referenda, you can actually enact meaningful constitutional reform? I'm an optimist because, as I was saying, this is the reform of all reforms. In 75 years of Republic, we have had 68 governments. The average government lasts only 14 months. There's an inability to produce a long-term governing thought process. We need stability. Things need time to mature, and that time is now. We have all the elements needed for this reform to work. We have two important elements. We have stability in the government and the restitution to the citizens of their right to choose the government. Since 2011, governments haven't always matched the will of the citizens, which leads to absenteeism, which is very concerning. Of course, this doesn't only happen in Italy, but giving the right to citizens to pick their own government will give them more civic duty. And without this very important reform, is Italy destined to continue with short-lived governments, political instability and economic underperformance? I think this reform is important because through stability, Italy will have more credibility on an international level. It will be an economic leverage because it will give trust to investments, to the markets, to families, to businesses, to the regions and to universities.
All these reforms will be able to happen through stability, because how can you have a dialogue nationally and internationally if the rules are constantly changing? You can't. So stability is a challenge not only for the centre-right, but for the entire country. Uh, political heavyweight Elisabetta uh, Casalati talking to us about Italian reforms and the absolute need for them. I mean, Karen, look, that, that really typified it, didn't it? She said herself, 68 governments, 75 years, average tenure, 14 months as well. There is one more point to raise as well on this one, uh, and that is the fact that actually um, there are some real problems about whether some of these reforms will work alongside the NRRP, which of course is the National Resilience and Recovery Plan, which works using the next generation funds that have come in from uh, the EU as well. 192 billion euros has come in there. Are any of the things that are going on in Italy going to upset the ability of the uh, European Union to hand that money over as well? So there is a contention there as well, just bubbling alongside these reforms in Italy. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.